I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. C'est bon, c'est bon. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, blessed and highly favored. Don't say that. <laughs> I mean, we don't believe in that. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not going to stand for that. Not one single minute. I had to make a note because I always forget to continually say thank you because there are people who continue to sponsor the podcast, which is wild because we've never asked anyone to do that. So people can go on to Anchor's site or app. I've never asked that for that, but let me tell you how. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> well, to acknowledge that people are doing that. Yes. So yeah, they can go and like literally give a dollar a month or more. Gracias, or merci beaucoup. If there's some wealthy benefactor out there uh, mm-hmm. who wants to uh, give more, that would be accepted. <laughs> what do you think about that? You need to come up what with What if some a, rich uh, individual... Like uh, at a film festival, it's like the gold member level sponsors. Like Platinum. Yeah. The Ivan Reitman Foundation. Where, is we the- send, where we send private audio tracks and videos of us dancing in... Monkey costumes, or I don't know. Oh my god, that's racist. That's some hot, <laughs> yeah, probably monkeys. Not that, the best. That's some Marlena Dietrich in hot. Movie. I'm not dressing up as a monkey for anyone, uh, but other things maybe. Anyway, moving on. So the big thing this past week was you have hair. I suddenly have hair. Suddenly. Suddenly, last summer. <laughs> suddenly, last summer. Uh, so let's talk about that. Okay. Because there are lots of questions about it. Uh, I have been wanting to play with toupees for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm a hairstylist. Years ago, I had applied for a job at um, the hair club for men. And that's where I kind of learned about those systems, which are basically lace units that are adhered to men's hair. Like, So a very popular client would be like a John Travolta. Mm-hmm. And that, the lace system, is that's a euphemism for toupee. Is how I've come to understand it. So traditionally, toupees... I mean, you know... Traditionally, uh, hand-woven like lace units were reserved for people with money. So like in Hollywood, you would mm-hmm. find... But for the average person, they would be far too expensive. Someone like Cher was known for wearing... You know, she is famous for talking about how these units cost her 50 grand. Oh my God. But now that they're becoming more popular... Um, prices have gone down because more people are making them. Um, the process of manufacturing these has become easier. Like technology has made it easier. So a very high quality unit like what you're wearing, you know, might have cost, you know, with inflation a couple thousand dollars. Whereas now you can get them for under like 300. So I had been wanting to play with them. But, um, you know, the only person I could have ever played with it on is you Mm -hmm. so i don't know what made this time the right time because i had talked about it years ago but i I don't think ever seriously considered that you would do it i think that was yeah i don't think you ever really asked me in all seriousness and then with covid i thought well we don't have to leave the house because it requires that you know nick shaves his head or buzzes his head every day yeah almost every day because he doesn't like to see um the ugly truth Wow, but quite frankly, I prefer that over a shaved head. Well, yeah, I don't like looking like a shiny egg. Yeah, um, I definitely don't like when men do that. And also, it is much easier to nick yourself. Haha, right. pun intended. So, um, in order to 
more effectively blend in the unit, the person needs to have some hair to work with, which means that you had to grow your hair out for almost two months. Yeah. In order to get enough hair um, to work with. So we received the unit last Monday and then we just did it. Yeah, which I wasn't expecting. I thought you were going to make me wait longer, but... Well, you were getting antsy and then it just seemed like might, might as well do it. Because um, really it's just more for fun. It's not so much that you wanted to have hair. It was more me trying to learn. But now that you have the unit on, we applied it on Monday. And then on Thursday, we like took it off, clean, trimmed, and then reapplied it. Friday. Oh, Friday. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts about the unit? <sighs> um, it's interesting. I mean, I I think I like the look. I You know, I also want to, you know, I haven't had hair since 2004. Uh you know, I want to stress that I think bald is beautiful, and I th I think I like how I look as a bald human. Uh, so it wasn't for to make it seem like I was lacking in any way, but it's weird because it doesn't. Somebody asked me at work, like, "Oh, does it feel like it's a part of you?" No, not at all. It feels like there's something glued to my head. But uh, it, okay, first of all, do you, do you like how it looks? I do. Um. How comfortable is it to wear? It's comfortable, especially since we readjusted it on Friday. What does it feel like? It it feels like something a little crunchy is kind of on my head. But it doesn't feel... It feels more comfortable than the hat I was wearing, which was probably a size too small. The hat you were wearing was too small, for sure. Um, it, I mean, it's human hair, and it looks good. Like, it looks like real hair. And it matches very well to your natural hair. Um, what about it is uncomfortable? Um, I think when I, when I'm thinking about it <laughs> is when it's uncomfortable. Cause that's when I think psychologically you start being like, Oh, I can't really itch my head or blah, blah, blah. And then I, I, I'm not used to, cause I'm told by you that I'm not supposed to wash it every day and I run every day. So I didn't wash it yesterday. And I think I'm in my head today about feeling dirty. Uh, so I will wash it after my run today. But I, I I don't like not getting to wash my hair every day. Well, separately, you know, hygiene is very personal, right? So when people ask me how often they should wash their hair, there are really two answers. The most important answer is as often as you feel comfortable. Sure. If you don't feel comfortable, like if you feel like you smell or your hair looks like you combed it with a chicken bone, then obviously you should wash it. But... They, the reality is like, if you washed your hair on Monday and you went for a run, by Tuesday, it's not going to smell rancid. That's true. It's more in, in fact, my fact, which I've said a million times, particularly for people who have longer, thicker hair, who get their hair wet every day, getting your hair wet every day and not letting it fully dry just makes your hair smell like mildew. That's true. Which is far more disgusting than whatever funk you think it might smell like. Sure. So it's a personal thing, but there are also um, other factors, like if you use a lot of product and there's buildup and then your hair feels heavy, it blocks the follicle, which could cause your hair to grow thinner. So there are a lot of factors depending on who you are, how often you wash your hair. Typically, people with textured hair wash their hair less often because it gets dry. And the hair, it's easier to work with textured hair when it has some moisture to it. And then for some people with very textured hair or coily hair, they like to add oil or grease. So like how you see me grease my scalp because I have dry 
scalp, you know, the problem with not cleansing my scalp very regularly would be that the follicle gets clogged with all that oil and grease I'm adding to it. Like, literally, I put grease. Like, sulfur 8 is like, looks like mm -hmm. fucking yellow lard. Mm -hmm. But it contains active ingredients that help with the um, dandruff. But anyway, it just depends on the person. You don't put a lot of shit in your hair. You do sweat a lot, but it's not like you're dirty. It's just sweat. That's true. I Which think... is different from like your underarms, mm -hmm. right? Or your like pubic area where that, if not washed regularly, could smell. But then, you know, a lot of people, you know, like these celebrities who are claiming they don't bathe their kids a lot. Part of the reason they don't is because eventually your body will calibrate mm -hmm. to not being stripped of its natural oils. So, you know, a person like me who doesn't ever wear deodorant doesn't really smell that strong. But it took a long time. Because the first few months was like, whoa, mm -hmm. I can tell. But anyway, you were saying... I mean, I feel a little bit like Cinderella. Not that I was a, a spinster maid before, but that uh, at the stroke of midnight, there, there's a... T there, you know, it's going to... I'm going to turn back into what I am. <laughs> it's, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to view this as an experience of almost like drag, like hair drag. It's just something to play with. And I'm, I don't know that I've had the opportunity to see if it really allows a part of my persona to come out that hasn't before or something like that. But, um, well, my fear with anyone who would do this, but particularly knowing you is that, but really to anyone is like, if you're not comfortable with how you look and then you start using accessories and aids to alter your appearance, will you start to feel like it's necessary? I think that I'm glad that I did this. I'm doing this now rather than as like a 25 year old where, sure. where I would have felt, you know, you I hadn't had, become comfortable with as a bald skin. man. Yeah. yeah. At, at the stage where I felt like I had to wear a hat every day. Uh, yeah. At that point, it probably would have been a really bad idea. It would have been this. bad. And now I also at the age I'm at now, comfort goes a long way. And it, as unobtrusive as this technically feels, it's still not, just me and my ball get head. up and go yeah, yeah. so that that's something to get used to and think about and i, I think the long-term plan is after i get back from can we're gonna take this off and because you wanted to play with it even longer uh i would have liked your hair to be longer and then i want to order a, a new unit and then play with it on longer hair because the thing is with it being so sh with my base hair being so short there's really no room margin for error there's no margin for error so like the lace i mean it has to be laid down perfectly if it starts to lift it'll be very obvious um so i don't like the feeling of that kind of pressure. but i'm a perfectionist uh when it comes to my work and because you know i'm seeing my subject all the time i'm being very picky about it i think if i just saw i mean i clog people's hair wherever i go but if I were a regular person just somewhere and saw you, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't look twice at your hair like, oh, there's something off about it. But because I did it and I keep looking at you, I find little things. But again, I think people should work with what they have. You certainly were comfortable in your own skin before this unit. But I think it's fun to play with your look. I think. Oh, yeah. For years, I said I feel like the Kirsten Dunst character in an interview with the vampire. You remember when she tries to cut her hair and yeah. she's dead, so she can't. Uh, yeah, I felt like I've just really only been able to have this one way to look. Which is interesting. I mean, I think my look does change quite a bit because I'll have hair, then I won't. I'll shave my face, then I'll have a beard. But the reality is I usually only cut my hair. So having hair is easier than being buzzed. 
Mm-hmm. Because when I have a buzzed head, I line that shit up like every three days. Mm-hmm. And then because I like touch up the fade, then I have to work into my beard. So actually it takes a lot of work for me to have a buzzed head. But with the length my hair is now, I only touch it like once a week. The reason I end up cutting it off is because I do have issues with dermatitis and eczema and I get really dry skin. It's really hard to like exfoliate my scalp when it's covered in hair. Mm -hmm. So it's really more for like, like I'm uncomfortable with hair because I can't cleanse my scalp the way I want to. And then with my beard, the same thing, like my, the skin under my beard starts to get really flaky and dry. And so usually if you see me buzz my face and my head, it's because I was getting really, I was getting skin issues. Mm -hmm. But so Sometimes the commentary will be like, oh, I made a change, but it's not because I want to look different. It, it's just I'm uncomfortable. But I think um, I prefer you without hair. But but again, it's just like people who I had a roommate in college who would wear a girdle. This was a male. He would wear a girdle and color contacts and he would wear underwear that had um, like a butt pad in it. And then he would wear shoes with lifts. So he would wear those shoes that have a heel like an invisible heel kind of, and then he put the lift in them. So that he was like probably like 5'8", but then with his shit on, we'd be the same height. And that was definitely part of his like day-to-day, like he was very uh, regimented about how he presented himself and it was difficult because he would only go out if he looked his mm-hmm. best, as he thought. And then the problem becomes like that scene from uh, I'm a Get You Sucker. Mm-hmm. Where they bring home that lady and she takes off a leg. Yeah, and her yeah. Leg. I mean, that was him. He, mm-hmm. It would be like you met a different person. Which really... I learned very early on, like, presenting myself in a way that isn't truly authentic is probably... But that can mean a lot of things, too. It can mean a lot of things, but I, I, I just witnessed him... I mean, he would date a new person, like, every week. Yeah, because once you get down to the base of what you are, right. it's like, oh, that's not what I signed up that's for. That's not what I signed up but, for. But, and it's unfortunate because the base person is probably... A more uh, who we are really is probably the best like resting version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's probably what would work best for the people we connect with. Yeah, because you don't have to work so hard to be something, right? Mm-hmm. So it was just unfortunate that you know we're not friends anymore. But but you, you know I feel like hair is a little different. I agree. I, I think like just how you want to people color their hair or... Well, I feel like what I'm going through is like what a lot of women are familiar with, how they uh, feel. <laughs> I fully support um, units and extensions and wigs. I think if, if it's for fun or if it's for, you know, maybe a transition, like if you're going through chemo or you're suffering from like situational alopecia or whatever and... It's just like something you're not like you're not equipped to deal or, with. Or if you just want to see how you look like with a different texture, color. Like. Right. Or or that. I think it's I think it's fun as long as a person's mental state is not like this is the new me and without this I'm nothing. Sure. But we can move on. So you have hair. I don't know how long it'll last. I mean it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. But uh, I think if you're enjoying it, then you know, it's worth the effort. Yeah, I think, I think at a point it'll have to stop just yeah. because, um, you know, it does require a lot of effort and we're both very busy, mm-hmm. but I'm glad you are having fun with it. You did go out on Saturday, Friday night. So how was that being around people with this thing on your head? I mean, I didn't talk to anybody I didn't already know. So the, the people that we knew that were there, it was very quickly in passing that they mentioned it. Yeah. 
So well, oh, they, well, well, they probably well, already knew because of social media. And, true. Right? Like, no one was surprised. Like, you have hair? I guess not. Oh, yeah, because I did post something. Yeah. Um, no, we, we didn't have a fan come up. <laughs> and I think they were trying to be very polite. But I noticed him, like... <laughs> looking at your shit like... I was like, I look... You know how people are looking at you on the side of their eye, and I'm uh-huh. like, oh, you're trying to look at my head. Oh. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it's awkward because I don't want to have to just have this statement all the time like I'm not trying to be uh, th- like the, the most beautiful version of me is the bald man that well I, I think am, the but... best way to play it is you have like sort of how John Travolta has sort of quietly you know many years ago just came out one day bald yeah I think you have to do that you have to do both yeah you have to do both that way it's like I'm not pre- like I'm, I'm not, not pretending I'm not, not trying hiding. to fool anyone that I have yeah. hair this is just like how some of y'all want to wear high heels or tight jeans or Whatever, try a new cut of a shirt. Like having a little extra hair in your head is to me the same. And does it make? I I don't know that I feel like oh I'm better looking. If anything, I feel like I'm more concerned about maybe blending in too much. And <laughs> I don't know. There's something glorious about sticking out as a bald person that I I like as well. I love not having hair when when I, I do have a buzzed head. It's just so freeing. It is. And there's something very, um, I mean, this is more emotional and psychological, but there's something very um, settling about knowing that I always look the same. Mm-hmm. Because some people who have to do their hair and, you know, or if they wear makeup, require makeup to look their best. It's like, you know, it's a big transition from when you wake up and your hair's a mess and you have no makeup to when you feel your best. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, takes its toll. I think so too. Because even for me, it's like with hair right now, every morning I get up and the first thing I do is go in the bathroom. And it's not like it requires a lot of effort, but I do feel like I have to do a little bit. But when I don't have hair, I feel like, oh, I always look put together. (laughs) But people, it's, you know, just even the whole slap at the Oscars thing revolves around a bald head and people's commentary on it. And uh, what was I going to say? I I lost my train of thought. Well, moving on then, if if it comes back to you, we can... uh, get back to it but i wanted so we made a video for the abercrombie and fitch documentary white hot the mm-hmm. rise and fall of anf and of course any video that sort of pokes that like whiteness and mm-hmm. we get a lot of negative comments oh we did yeah but i delete them oh oh that's why i don't but see the, yeah that's why you don't see them because i don't feel like subjecting people to why what did, what did they say the comment that I wanted to, so I, so I want, so, so then there were, com- well, I wanted to address a few things. Well, first, the positive thing is that there were a few comments from people asking, like, do we actually read the comments or do we recognize the people who comment off? Yes. Yes. Like, I don't, I don't have the ability to respond to everything because, I mean, there are like hundreds of comments on, like, I use the YouTube app on my phone to look at stats and mm-hmm. the dashboard only shows the first like the most, the three most recent comments. And I, okay. So it's very hard for me to keep up. So then I have to actually like go into like the desktop version and look at the comments, which I do periodically, but there are just too many on any given day to read all of them. But I do recognize people who comment often Mm -hmm. and I do heart a lot of things, which is me trying to acknowledge, like I, like I read your comment Mm -hmm. and things that I don't heart are like, either I didn't see it or I saw it and I don't, I don't like it. So I didn't heart it. But, um, so there's that. And then you look at the videos themselves 
and see the comments. Yeah. So, or sometimes if it's a question that I can't answer, I will ask you. Because a lot of times people will ask about movie, mm-hmm. like movie specific questions. So when they do, I do ask Nick if I see them. Well, and usually comments is you, that's where I find out I made an error. Right. <laughs> like... But people, but then we got comments about like, why don't we respond to negative comments? And I don't do that because it's just like, I don't want to waste energy on negativity. It, I mean, because to me, a criticism is not negative. Like if I misspoke or if someone doesn't agree with me. I think that's interesting dialogue. Like, that's conversation. Sure. So I don't delete those things because... Just because someone doesn't agree with me doesn't mean it's a bad comment. Mm-hmm. But... So I don't respond because there's nothing to say. Like, that's your opinion. Sometimes I agree with them. Maybe I was... You know, maybe I did view something incorrectly or... Or I did, like... Or I made a mistake. Yeah. Or, I, or I could see this from a different angle. Or maybe I wasn't sensitive. So I can't be mad at that. But sometimes the straight up just negative, nasty comments, I feel like... If I'm going to waste time doing that, like responding to that bullshit, then really I should take that time and respond to people who are being kind. Yeah. So that's really why I don't. Because I don't have the time. And if I did have the time, because I know some people will say like, oh, I have time today to respond. And every now and then I will if something funny pops into my head. But it's like, no, I would rather take that time crafting a response to a bullshit comment and go through the actual nice comments and like read those. The other thing is the YouTube app doesn't notify me of replies. So like if someone comments and I reply and then they reply to me, it doesn't show up. I would have to check our email, which I do regularly, but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comment emails. So I do miss a lot of those (laughs) because it's just not possible. But um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. What, what did oh, but say? with White Hot, oh, the one comment I did want to address is there, and I deleted all of them because I just don't have the energy and I don't want other people to feel like they have to respond, is that same bullshit about like, well, there's Black History Month, so why can't there be, or, well, FUBU markets to black people, so why can't AMF, and it's like, okay, I don't have time to explain to anyone why well, that's, yeah. not, why that's not the same. I don't the have reason, time to explain your racism to you. The reason... <laughs> A disenfranchised group that might seek out representation for itself is doing so because they are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. They are underrepresented. The reason that a clothing line like FUBU became popular is because there were no... Like, apparel wasn't marketing to that group of people. I have have a comment about that one year. So, the same with Black History Month. Like... (laughs) Well, or 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 any ethnic group or any, you know, uh, uh, like autism awareness week or whatever, whatever the case may be. It's like we have to do these things because these groups are not getting the attention they need and deserve. Like, so you have to carve out a space. The implication is that everything around us, if we're in the United States, is um, driven towards like cisgendered, heterosexual Christian caucasoids. Mm-hmm. That's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. So if you don't fit into that mold and, and men. So if you don't fit into that, then you have to find your own space. Mm-hmm. So bringing up FUBU or Black History Month. No, but I, I have a, yeah, that's all bullshit and it should be deleted because it's just inane. But, uh, you know, in 10th grade, I, I refused to buy from Abercrombie & Fitch because I felt so alienated in those stores. And I, I was buying FUBU, but I didn't have the 
uh, awareness to realize what that mentor looked like either. But I will say there was never a person of color that told me that okay. that made me feel like FUBU is not for you. Yes. If anything, the only people that told me FUBU is not for me were older white people. That's the other thing is that I've always said like, you know, POCs, any disenfranchised group, they don't have the same reaction <laughs> that it seems like you get when you talk about whiteness in America. Mm-hmm. Like, if we just want to talk about FUBU, it's like, yeah, FUBU wasn't saying... Like, for us, by us, doesn't mean that you can't. Right. Right? Right. Like, no one is... It's, it's just that, so that's, outrageous. That's like, that's, like, that's like self-love. That's like saying that, that you don't want to have somebody to have self-love. Like, disenfranchised groups trying to carve out a space for themselves are always inclusive. They're always welcoming of whomever wants to. So, it is not the same. It is not the same. And... <laughs> Well, because time and time again, you find out that these brands are like, oh, we don't want black people buying these boots or this champagne. Right, and, or- then, and then come to find out that ANF was basically saying like, well, this is our version of who we want buying our shit. Mm-hmm. Tommy Hilfiger. Or, or countless brands, you know. And, but, it, but it's not just about race. It's about body size and like, whatever. I, I don't respond to that shit because... I don't have the time for negativity and I don't and I delete them and block people because I don't think I'm assuming anyone who watches our videos regularly they do so because they just find us entertaining or they find you specifically informative so it's like but now not above error (laughs) so so it's just supposed to be like fun and you know what I mean it's not supposed to be like people have to be confronted with like hate speak because people also say really nasty things. And YouTube, I will say, does a very good job of... So I get notified about hate speech. Mm-hmm. And then those comments get sequestered. And I have to acknowledge them. And YouTube even says, like, when I go to acknowledge them, like, are you sure you want to see these? Because they might contain... Damn. So I do appreciate that. Sure. And the algorithm, however they figured out, is pretty accurate. Because then you have to verify, like, yes, show me the hidden comments. And then they're usually like, faggot... I mean, it's usually something about black shit or faggots or... So I appreciate that, you know, it is a sensitive thing and it could be triggering for people. Or a lot of times it's about gender. If anytime we mention something about, like, gender or trans people, then you get a lot of negative comments. So I'm glad that those things get blocked. It does give me the ability to approve them. Sure. So that people could see them. And I usually don't do that. Almost always never. Because it's like... Who wants to be confronted with that? Because if someone watched a video, because there was one recently about the lady in the Dale, that docu-series that mm-hmm. I loved. Mm-hmm. And then someone replied to someone's comment, like a really nasty comment about gender and how she's a freak. And it's like, you know, I'm assuming the person who made the original comment saw the video and thought how cool it was that this person, this trans woman got this, um, sort of attention and they you know even though she was a criminal (laughs) she's kind of a remarkable she is a remarkable person Mm -hmm. and then you have these two homosexuals talking about her in a more positive light Mm -hmm. and you can disagree you can think that no this bitch was a fucking criminal why are you applauding her but so fine i can also agree with that but to the person who said thank you for talking about her in a respectful way it's like why would i want to subject that person to someone being hateful Mm -hmm. because that it was supposed to be a safe space yeah you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I can't control the internet, but I feel like, yeah, I don't want it to just be the fucking wild, wild west out here. I, I People's also, negative I also comments. think find it's funny that 
positive people will come up and say positive things to you, but most of these people that are out here wanting to say some bullshit don't have the balls or the guts to say that to but my that's face. The, but that's the world we live in now. Like right. people, like these internet thugs who would never, never come up to me and say the kind of shit that they feel free saying online. But I try to keep it positive. I mean, I'm shady. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we talk shit. But to me, it's just fun. It's just jokes. And we're talking about entertainment like people put themselves out there just like posting youtube videos and making podcasts like we're putting ourselves out there so when people talk crazy about me yeah yeah. i don't get offended because it's like well i am ridiculous and maybe i do say stupid shit and if you don't like it then that's fine like i don't take it personally if i did i wouldn't be making youtube videos so to me it's all about fun and light and enjoyment right i mean i'm not trying to be out here stirring up negative energy oh yeah for sure but we can move on to i had something i thought was funny um i'm gonna read you a little snippet of something that happened um so a fire department said that a woman who was at the top of mount walker i don't know where mount walker is somewhere in washington national olympic national forest okay she had been using her phone and had dropped it down into the vault of an outhouse So she was in an outhouse using the restroom and dropped her phone. Mm -hmm. After she disassembled the toilet in an attempt to get her phone, she used her dog's leashes to try to retrieve the phone and eventually used the leash to tie herself off as as she reached for it. But that effort failed and she fell into the, the fucking outhouse hole head first. And the fire department had to get her ass out of there. (laughs) So she was stuck in that... She was stuck in that outhouse for with, some time. With the chemicals and the shit. <laughs> with that caca-filled vault. Um, you know that there would probably be some PTSD. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, of course, the fire department commented saying that, you know, they did recommend that she go seek medical attention after being exposed to human waste. But she but she refused. She just wanted to leave. But... Um, yeah, you don't know. Uh, yeah. Get some hepatitis in there. Can you imagine? I don't want to. So, if you dropped... So, because I've thought about this. Because every time... I always have my phone. Every time we go into a porta potty wherever we are, I'm always like, what if I drop my phone in this fucking shit box? What would you do if you dropped your phone in the porta potty that's like filled with shit? I'd have to leave it. I think I would just leave I'd it. I'd have to leave it, yeah. Yeah. It's just a phone. I mean, granted, our lives are on there, but. Uh, but it's know. all in the cloud, so I could just. No, it, you know, I had. I that, would just get a new phone and download. I had, you know, because I was in Venice in September and I stayed on the mainland and the festivals on the Lido, but all these people were on these little boats, you know, that you have to go back and forth every day. Okay. And all these people. They're not really secured, and they're like hanging over the side, taking pictures oh, of the yeah. water. And it's like, if you oh, drop yeah. that shit, you are screwed. Why would you? <laughs> people, yeah, they. I just don't think people think that way. Okay, so Jennifer Gray, who I know from Dirty Dancing, yes, who I don't recognize because she got a nose job. She's had that a while. I know, but I wouldn't know who this lady is. She, her dad's famous. Her dad's Joel Gray. He won an Oscar for Cabaret. Oh, that's her dad. Yeah, the MC. He's a homosexual. Uh, that sounds right, but... He came out in 2015 at the age... Oh, that's right, that's right. He yeah. came out in 2015 at the age of 82. Okay, oh. back in the 80s... So, Jennifer Gray just wrote, like, her memoirs. Okay. And back in the 80s, she used to date Matthew Broderick. <sighs> yeah, because they were in... Didn't they play Brother and Sister in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Uh, yes. Okay. So, she used to date him... I guess Matt- that's he killed somebody in the car with her. 
Yes. He killed somebody in Ireland or something. Apparently Matthew Broderick's mom is somebody too. Uh, okay. Anyway, Jennifer Garner, Jennifer Garner, Jennifer Gray. I don't know. I, I'm looking at her picture. I don't recognize her. That's why I'm calling her other names. Jennifer Gray wrote in her book that back in the 80s when she was um, dating Matthew Broderick, that he went, she went to go see his mom. Mm-hmm. And she was like looking her up and down. And Matthew Broderick's mom told her, you know your dad's a fag, right? <laughs> <laughs> your son is too. No. <laughs> and then it's like, anyway, I thought that was funny. Aww. Isn't that terrible? That is terrible. Which is funny because then it's like, don't it, everyone thinks Matthew Broderick is gay. Yeah. But yeah. And then she writes about how like, well, she was a strong, uh, uh, worded, like she, who, what was the, what Jennifer was Gray says that she would have referred to his mom as like a truth teller who liked to drop bombs. So it wasn't out of her character to talk like that. Oh, it's like, what's her name from Arrested Development? Uh, what's, what was the, what's Matthew Broderick's mother's name? Uh, Cassandra? Yeah, the whole name? Broderick? Oh, okay. Right? I don't know. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Something else I just read was, so Az- Aziz Ansari is directing a movie called Being Mortal. That's and been Bill delayed. Murray yeah. is in it. And it's been delayed because of accusations made against Bill Murray for inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading that other people have accused him of that. Like well, Richard Dreyfus and Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu very famously, yes. Yeah, so I know those two are... Well, is Richard Dreyfus still alive? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, he stopped acting, right? No, uh, I mean, the last thing I remember him in was in that Piranha remake, but... Well, I know they're sitting at home like, we tried to tell y'all. <laughs> Don't work with this fool. But Bill Murray seems difficult anyway. I know I recently watched that movie with... Um, we did. Who's Quincy Jones' daughter? Uh... Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones, yeah. She's in the, a movie with Bill Murray. On the Rock, Sofia Coppola. Which I didn't yeah. love. I didn't either. I but, mean, the Sofia Coppola Bill Murray movie to watch would be lost in translation, but... But, um, yeah. It, which is too bad, you know, because Sigourney used to talk about him so lovingly as, as, you know... But apparently, you know, when somebody likes you, they treat you a lot differently, but... He might have been scared of her ass, too. <laughs> That's a big lady. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Lucy Liu, was, uh, there was a lot of conflict on the Charlie's Angels set. Well, I hope uh, he gets himself together. Cause, well, he's old. Well, I mean, but who knows what he did? I who, don't know. who knows what he did? But it was enough to shut down production. So. Right. So Poor Aziz Ansari. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. So finally, the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race. Finally, it happened to me. Finally, after 16 episodes, we get the finale, which we watched at Precinct. Which was very busy. Which was packed because we watched the last like three or four episodes at Precinct. And I would say the crowd was like, what, five times as many people? One at the Eagle as well. Oh, we saw once at the Eagle. Um, Yeah, the place was packed. Uh, What did you think about the finale? Uh, Long in the tooth, but fine. It's fine. Do you want to talk about the... I have to use the restroom. Okay. What do you want me to talk about? Do you want to talk about each of the finalists? Not really, but no. I can't. I, I mean, it just felt like a lot... You know, it started Just with, ramble on. It started with Angeria, and it's like, oh, we, she has to do a dance number, and then she has to be interviewed by RuPaul, and then we get the next queen, and then there's a really long commercial break, and then we have to do the next two, and then uh, it, it just it, it just felt like a whole lot because we've showcased all of them so much. And then some of those dance numbers which i'm sure you will agree weren't really that impressive i didn't really like angeria's uh die betty i i'd be fine never having to see that person on tv or on social media ever again 
yeah, I don't know. It was just, it, it just felt a little bit boring. I thought Kim, and then they were all original songs, which I was kind of confused about because it, some of them didn't sound like them. Uh, I did like Lady Camden's and Willow Pills was just excellent. And so it really came down as no surprise that those were the top two. Uh, Bosco, okay, so I like Bosco's, and I've been a, a long fan of uh, theirs, but I, I liked uh, the final look. The song was okay. Uh, but I think I was really underwhelmed. One, I'm always alarmed when people change their face so much. But uh, obviously has had some refreshments done that aren't needed because uh, well, so, she's in her 20s. Uh, well, and, her and... Because they came out as trans and they're taking hormones. They yes. probably had some facial feminization yes. shit happening. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Bosco's... Uh, like behind the scenes interviews was like, oh, it'd be so cool to win. It's like, well, that's all you have to yeah. say. Yeah, Bosco's attitude about winning was like, you're not going to win. Uh, yeah, I felt like they maybe they'd already given up, but so I don't understand why we even needed a top five because we just go in highlighting all of them, and then RuPaul's like, okay, well, here are the two who are going to compete for the top slot. So it's like, yeah. well, why didn't we just eliminate? I, I just thought having a top five was so pointless. Yeah, I agree. But I think Daya or Angeria should have been cut. Especially Daya, obviously. But whatever, what do I know? Anyway, people in the bar were very excited. I think the final lip sync, which was Lady Camden and Willow Pill, like you mentioned, they performed to Cher's version of ABBA's song, Gimme, 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 mm -hmm. A Man After Midnight. Which, you know, Madonna Which Madonna famously to. sampled for her song, Hung Up, uh -huh. which is very near and dear to your heart. Yep. It's probably my number two favorite Madonna song. Oh, yeah, don't... If there's a space on the dance floor and I'm feeling myself, watch out. I'm, I will have to say, since I said number two, my number one favorite Madonna song is Frozen. Although lately, I've been listening to Ray of Light a lot. Mm -hmm. Ray of Light, I love, yeah. That's a good one. I used to film, I had that taped on, v, on VHS, that music video. And you I, know, would, I would practice running the mile to that song. Have you noticed that, we talked about music, I think, last time, week or the week before. But songs, you know, that album came out in the mid, early 90s, but... Right? Or 95? 97, I think. 97, late 90s. But yes, I was in college. But listening to music back when I didn't have a nice sound system mm -hmm. versus like now, mm -hmm. listening to it in my car or with my nice... And earbuds, all the things you hear. And all the things... Because I don't think I ever... I don't think I ever really liked Ray of Light. Really? I didn't dislike it, but it just wasn't... I don't think I realized how much I liked the beat mm -hmm. yeah, until I played it in my car one day with a very nice sound system like you know, cranked it up. And I was like, shit, I really like this song. Uh, Hung Up's my favorite song of hers, but Ray of Light is my favorite album. I think that's just a fantastic I would say, album. I would say Erotica is my favorite album, but Ray of Light's up there. It's, oh, it, even the B-side tracks, Sky Fits Heaven, uh, Shanti Shanti. Oh, God. <laughs> but they lip sync. Uh, I think Lady Camden's a better performer, but mm -hmm. Willow Peel knows how to, you know... She's, I wouldn't say she's a stunt queen, but she definitely knows how to like, I think because of her disabilities and her limitations, she's learned how to do a lot with a little. Yeah. And those kind of behaviors really resonate with RuPaul. Well, and like these gay audiences, yeah. right? Like in the gay bar, they love a, like a, mm -hmm. a weird outfit or a reveal. And Lady Camden also had a reveal, but it was kind of like, no, oh, the, the same wig you had on earlier and mm -hmm. the outfit's kind of basic but, you know, they both left with money. And That's they're both going to be working drag queens. So. I like both. I really, and I like both of them. I really, I really, truly liked 
four of the top five. And I really did like four of the five, yeah. But yeah, this is. A- you can't sell me this diabetes redemption story. I don't care if the drama made it a more interesting season or whatever excuse you want to say. I'm just. I don't need terrible people in my living room. And that's what she was, I felt, for... As I sit here in the living room. (laughs) Okay, so moving on. There are no entries in the Sorry to This Man. uh, Well, okay, so I incorrectly thought Richard Ayoade was uh, Welsh. Because his first movie was shot in Wales. Uh, So in my mind, I just always thought that. But he's not. He's English. Oh, so we do have an entry. Okay, well, there you go. Okay, films released we didn't cover. Petite Maman. Oh, I wish you would have... Celine Sciamma's, I think, fifth film that played in Berlin 2021. Uh, it was on a lot, of, a lot, a lot of critics' uh, best of year uh, features for 2021, uh, but it's just getting released this week. Hit the Road? Hit the Road by Jafar Panahi's son, um, Pana Panahi, which played in director's Fortnite in Cannes last year. I think Kino Lorber is uh, releasing it. I wish we had... I had saw it at AFI. It was one of the bigger ones that I missed at Cannes last year. And it's a really interesting uh, road movie. The Survivor? Yeah, so I saw this a long time ago. And it uh, it's a story about Harry Haft, uh, a boxer who survived the, uh, I think, Auschwitz uh in his time in New York afterwards, it's also it's stars Ben Foster and Vicky Creeps, directed by Barry Levinson. And I, I saw a very early screening of this, and it played at TIFF last year, and it's just getting released this weekend. Uh, it's okay. Uh, notably, I saw a better Polish film called The Champion from 2020 about Teddy uh, Pietrzkowski, who had a very similar uh, story. Marvelous and the Black Hole. This was Sundance 2021. Um, I remember going in with high expectations and not really liking it, so I didn't really press us having to watch it, directed by Kate Sang. And Polar Bear. Uh, Disney Plus is releasing a documentary narrated by Catherine Keener this weekend called Polar Bear, which I would watch it to listen to Catherine Keener, but uh, ultimately we we, uh, ran out of time. All right. Movies you watch for fun. I didn't see any of these. Uh, Love Jones. Oh, I wish I you were in the room when I had started it with Neil Long and I'm, uh, I know the movie and but Lorenz I didn't, Tate. I didn't see. I've never seen it actually. I actually really liked it. It's a very kind of a simple love story about you know kind of being upfront about what you want and, or you lose people. Uh, Imagine that. Well, I'm pretty upfront. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, set in Chicago. Liza Minnelli. No, go ahead. That's not a lie. I got you in here. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not going to do this on the Lord's Day. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't try me. Uh, Don't try me. It was released on Criterion. I and then the podcast ends. We <laughs> um, throw these bananas across the room. Uh, oh, I'm hungry, actually. Yes, it's a, a March edition to the Criterion Collection that I still have to review. So I finally watched that, so hopefully I'll write about it. But I did really like it. I was surprised to learn, you know, this played, uh, premiered at Sundance that year. And Theodore Witcher, the director, never directed another feature. Oh, wow. Which is surprising because this is uh, so well-crafted. Uh, it was also interesting watching it, realizing that Neil Long's character was written for Jada Pinkett. Uh, and I think Neil Long brings something a lot different and I think more well-rounded than I would have expected from Jada at 
that period. That yeah, that's always tough because like trying to imagine someone in a role is, is difficult sometimes. But that it was, that I would pick me along over Jada. That it was intended for on any day of the. <laughs> but you know, you got to think Scream Two. That's I, I think Jada did uh, Scream Two that year. Hmm. Anyway, yes, watch that. Zoot suit. Uh, this started my Edward James Almost triple feature this week. Oh god. Uh, Kino Lorber re- released Zoot Suit, which was the film that made almost. Edward James almost famous, uh, and it's based on a very racist trial of uh, Latinos in 1940s Los Angeles who were uh, convicted of a murder that they did not commit, that, that they didn't commit, uh, and it's called Zoot Suit because that's how they referred to all these, what they called gangsters were wearing. When I hear Zoot Suit, I think of Cab Calloway, and I think of uh, uh, Janet Calloway. Jackson's video for All Right. Cab Calloway, Which yes. features Cab Calloway. Yes. Uh, but Luis Valdez directed it, who went on to direct La Bamba, oh. which was a, f- a favorite of mine as a child, because when we got cable, for whatever reason, that was on all the time. So, uh, poor Richie Valens. The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit. Yes. So, you know, Edward James Almost is a very notable actor, and there are some, mm-hmm. there are some major films of his that I hadn't seen. Uh, this is a major film of his, and he's a supporting role who's very funny. Uh, but it's directed by Stuart Gordon, who died at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh. Uh, who's probably, you know, much better known for uh, Reanimator and From Beyond, uh, Castle Freak, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I really like a film he did with Stephen Ray, uh, Stuck. Even though they made the Mino Suvari, Suvari character white when in based on a true story that was a black lady. Anyway, uh, Stuart Gordon's The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit, which is based on a short story in a play written by Ray Bradbury, which is really interesting. Uh, these five guys uh, get t- each pitch in $20 for this vanilla ice cream suit that they each wear one night of the week. Uh, and it's also vanilla about... Vanilla ice cream suit? That's what like they keep the calling color? it. Like the color? Like the color. Oh. It ha- it's kind of got this resplendent luminescence about it. Um, but it also stars Clifton Collins Jr., who back then was being credited as Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez. Uh, and I didn't realize that was because his grandfather was a notable character actor, and that was his last movie, Pedro Gonzalez Gonzalez, who's best oh. known for uh, John Wayne's Rio Bravo. Uh, who else is it? Oh, Isai Morales, who's very uh, young and attractive in that. Uh, and I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, the, the, all of the cast are notable in that. But yeah, that was interesting. Stand and deliver. Oh, I mean... You've heard of Stand and Deliver. Yes, of course. Uh, it's Edward, about the school. Yeah. yeah. Edward James almost only uh, Oscar-nominated role, and he's very good in it. Uh, to I think, I want to say Dustin Hoffman won Brain Man that year, but I feel like almost gives the more interesting performance. Again, though, this was directed by Ramon Menendez, who I don't believe directed any other features, which is also shocking because this is pretty well done, especially for a first film, obviously based on a true story. Um Really uh, good early role for Lou Diamond Phillips. And I think this was after La Bamba. Anyway, uh, yeah, I really liked it. And um, yeah, that's all I have to say. And lastly, Portnoy's Complaint. Well, you know, I just finished the book by Philip Roth. Okay. Which I think is a really interesting book because it's a... uh, And even for me, who's, you know, goyish. uh, (laughs) It's uh, one long monologue that I thought was very funny and ends with his because he's on the therapist chair which the last line of the book is the therapist finally saying something like okay now we can begin therapy and uh so the film it's the only directorial uh effort of Ernest Lehman who's an excellent writer I mean he adapted Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf um 
West Side Story, wrote so many uh, classic films, but this is the only film he actually directed. And he does somehow adapt this for the screen, but it, it's more interesting in print. And I almost wish that he had stayed true to the novel uh, and maybe use flashbacks or something and to have that final punch. I don't really like Richard Benjamin as an on-screen presence, who's the lead, uh, who was the age of Portnoy, uh, like 33, 34, looks a lot older. He notably previously also starred in a Philip Roth adaptation, Goodbye Columbus. I just don't like him. And he was married to Paula Prentice, who I do like. Uh, I do like the women in it, which is my real reason for wanting to watch it with Karen Black uh, looking lovely as the woman that he thinks he's better than, and Lee Grant in old lady makeup as his mother. All right. Well, you have five minutes to get through this long list of projects of interest. Five minutes? Why yep. do you... So I'm just going to keep you on track. First is uh, Isabelle Huppert is in something called EO. Yeah, so I didn't... When Cam... We'll, we'll talk about Cam in a second, but they announced... right The eve before they announced... That's not on my list to talk about. It is. It says it right there. Cam, most anticipated. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, there okay. you go. Um, so this will probably be a long episode. Uh, but when the eve of them announcing the Can uh, selections... Everybody's like, oh, David Lynch has a new movie because basically they said some old dog is going to be on the croissette. And then, of course, it ended up being Jerzy Skolomowski, who for years I've pronounced his name as Jersey, but I think the actual pronunciation is Jerzy. You saw Jerzy Skolomowski's The Shout. What is EO? EO is his new project, and it, after Can announced it in the competition, it was revealed that Isabelle Huppert is starring in it. Cool. Uh, as the Countess, and it technically is a remake of Bresson's O Hassar Balthazar. All right, Reflections in a Dead Diamond. <sighs> Don't rush me. Uh, you, it's not me. Time does not stand still. We have limitations. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> Reflections in a Dead Diamond is a new project from Helene Catet and Bruno Forzani, a Belgian directing duo who married. Uh, they, I've liked them since their first film, La Mer. I really like The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. They uh, very, I, I, I uh, interviewed Bruno Forzani, uh, I think around the time that film came out. Uh, yes, very much looking forward to that. Uh, Let the Bodies Sunbathe was their last film, which I also really liked. Horizon. Kevin Costner is directing his fourth movie, a Western. He's hot off the success of the series Yellowstone. I can't, it, it just blew my mind that he hasn't directed a movie since 2003's Open Range, and this is the only fourth movie, considering how beloved Dances with Wolves was. The Water Dancer. Nia DaCosta, who is the director of Candyman, uh, the first black woman to direct a movie that made over 100 mil at the box office, she is adapting The Water Dancer, uh, which was, of course, a big deal in Oprah's Book Club, blah, blah, blah. So that's a big deal for her. Uh, she also finished directing that movie, the sequel to Captain Marvel. Hmm. Untitled Michelle Franco. Michelle Franco, you've seen his film New Order, uh, kind of the Mexican new wave of filmmakers. People tend to either, either love him or hate him. Uh, he's directing a movie in New York that's filming with Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard, which I'm sure will be good. Love Lies Bleeding. Rose Glass, uh, whose first film was St. Maud, which we reviewed and you really liked. Uh, her new movie is uh, sounds really interesting, and Kristen Stewart is in it. La Cocina? Uh, yes, Alonso Ruiz Palacios, uh, Mexican filmmaker, known for Gueros, and a film he did with Gail Garcia Bernal called um, 
Museo. He had a, a hybrid documentary film called The Cop Story in 2021 that was in Berlin. That was pretty good. Uh, he's doing directing a new movie, I think, also in New York with Rooney Mara. The Pot Afo? I think it's Po Afo. Po Afo? Uh, Vietnamese filmmaker Tran An Hung. I think it's his eighth film. Uh, he's directing a movie with Juliette Binoche and Benoit Magimel, uh that's currently filming, which that's a really interesting trio. I'm very curious. Mockingbird. Uh, Alma Harrell, who directed the Shia LaBeouf story, Honey Boy, uh, has announced that she is adapting Mockingbird, the Walter Tevis novel. Walter Tevis uh, notably wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth, which has a brilliant Nicholas Rogue adaptation starring David Bowie that's just been remade into a TV series starring Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, he also wrote The Hustler and its sequel, uh, which both starred Paul Newman. Uh, he also wrote The Queen's Gambit, the novel that that hit uh, Netflix series was based on. Lastly, fantasy football. Uh, Anton Cropper, who's uh, an alum of Blackish, uh, is directing fantasy football, starring Marseille Martin, also from Blackish. Kelly Rowland and Omari Hardwick as her parents. It's about a 16-year-old girl whose father is a foot, an NFL star, and she's able to control him on the field in this NFL game. Oh, it's like a sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But that's really interesting. Um, I I really like her, and uh, I Kelly Rowland is an interesting screen presence. I, I but I can only think of her really in bad hair. Sure. Well, she was also in a Halloween movie, right? No. She wasn't she in she, Halloween she, Resurrection because uh, she uses the F slur in that movie. She's in that's, Halloween Resurrection. That's why I remember her with Busta. No, she's in a. Here, we, we're running out of time. Uh, moving on to the obituary section, we have two entries, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. The first is Robert Morse. Yeah, who I feel uh, younger audiences are f- familiar with from Mad Men, uh, which I've never seen Mad Men. Uh, but How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Character actor that was in tons of stuff for decades passed away. Uh, and next is Jacques Perrine. Yep. Uh, actor, director, um, Jack of all trades, kind of. Uh, as far as acting, he was in uh, Costa Gavras's Z, which is a huge, notable film. Cinema Paradiso, of course, is a classic. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. Um, back in this, in 1966, he won the Best Actor uh, Volpe Cup in Venice for two films. They're both Italian, Almost a Man and The Search. Uh, he won Caesar Awards for uh, his documentary work in uh, a production called Oceans, and also as a producer on uh, something a documentary called Microcosmos. And then, um, just to go back on what I just said, Kelly Rowland is in the movie Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, okay. And she has a confrontation with Freddy Krueger, and she says, what kind of faggot wears a Christmas sweater to Freddy Krueger? Well, you know. But it's just like ben, I don't hold that against her. It's like her. Bette Midler saying the F yeah. in for the boys, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm being messy, but I don't hold it against her. Okay, we need to take a little break Okay, again. Okay, all good. So you want to talk about Can? Yeah, they uh, still no jury announced, but the, it seems that the entire um, program has finally been unleashed. Of course, um, I think right before you recorded last week, they had announced the first spate of um, competition titles, and then a day later was director's fortnight and then critics week. And then there's always a, a few last minute stragglers they add to the competition. So all of those things have finally, um, been revealed. What do you want to say about that? Well, the, the ones that I'm most excited for, 
Oh, you have a list? Yeah. Well, let's get through it. We don't have all day. Um, So overall, I'm actually quite excited about what's going to be there. Um, uh, um, Albert Serra, who's a Catalonian filmmaker who I quite liked. His last film, Liberté, is really something to be seen. Uh, He's finally playing in the competition with his latest feature starring Benoit Magimel, Tourment sur les îles, uh, which... I. It translates to uh, Torment of the Islands. I think it might... It's. I've seen it referenced elsewhere under a different English language title. Uh, but I'm very excited to see him in the competition. He was one of the last-minute entries. Uh, in the director's fortnight, uh, Joao Pedro Rodriguez, a Portuguese filmmaker whose last film, The Ornithologist, I really liked. A uh, queer film starring Paul Ami, uh, who I've that met... That sounds familiar. Um, well, I've talked about him because uh, I met him at the Costa Rica Film Festival and we... Oh, that was your buddy. For my the week. my buddy. We hung out for the week. Uh, very nice person. Uh, the ornithologist, but his new movie, The Will of the Wisp, is playing in directors' fortnight. Um, next on my list, also opening the directors' fortnight is Scarlet, uh, directed by Pietro Marcello, uh, who I just finished reading the book that it's based on, a Russian novel called Scarlet Sales by Alexander Green, uh, who is also credited. Uh, under Alexander Grin, depending on the translation. Uh, it's one of his more famous novels. It's been adapted before. Um, Marcello apparently focuses on the female character of this film and is freely adapting it, uh, which you know he did by adapting uh, Jack London with his last film, uh, the name of which... Oh, Martin Eden. Uh, so yeah, very curious about that. But of course, uh, opening... This was pegged for competition in the predictions, but uh, opening the director's fortnight is a pretty big distinction. Um, so that's that. Uh, also in director's fortnight, The Five Devils, directed by Leah Maisius, uh, her second film after Ava, which I liked well enough. She also co-wrote a film I really didn't like, uh, Paris 13th District, directed by Jacques, Jacques Audiard. Uh, her latest film sounds really interesting. Uh, everybody thought that would show up in competition. It did not. Um, also in Director's Fortnite, One Fine Morning, directed by Mia Hansen-Love, uh, who I would have loved to see in the competition again. Uh, her latest star is Leah Seydoux, but I'm excited just as well to see it in Director's Fortnite. Uh, in Un Certain Regard, I'm excited for The Silent Twins, which, uh, based on a true story, that book of which I also just finished, uh, directed by <clears throat> Agnieszka Smokzinska, uh, starring Letitia Wright as one of those twins. Very interesting story. I'm, I'm curious to see what she does with it. Uh, then I have uh, I guess this is my number six slot Lucas Don't a Belgian filmmaker whose last film was Girl uh, which premiered at Cannes in a certain regard about a trans ballet dancer that got a lot of flack because its lead lead star was Cis Uh, but also did receive a lot of awards recognition but Lucas Don't who's the youngest filmmaker in competition his latest is called Close, and it's about two 13-year-old boys who uh, start to have more than a friendship, it sounds like. Uh-oh. Uh, number five, I have uh, Decision to Leave from Park Chan-wook, a South Korean uh, master uh, whose latest is a mystery thriller, so very excited for that. Uh, number four uh, in the competition is Kelly Reichert for the first time. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've made you watch any of Kelly Reichert's films, but she's working once again with Michelle Williams in a film called Showing Up. Very excited for that. At number three, we have uh, EO, which I've already mentioned. Uh, you've seen one Yerzy Skolomowski film, which is The Shout, which I know you really liked. I think this is something like his sixth time playing competition. Very excited for that. He also wrote a new film that Polanski's uh, 
filming right now that's pegged to be in Venice this next this coming year. Number two, Claire Denis, for the second time in her career since her debut, 1988's Chocolat, is finally invited back to play at Cannes in the competition. Usually she goes to Venice with the stars at noon, uh, which I read this book by Dennis Johnson a couple years ago now, uh, which I really liked. Uh, stars Margaret Qualley and uh, who's the final lead? Is it Joe Alwyn? Uh, it was supposed to be Pattinson and then it was supposed to be Taryn Egerton. And Anyway, Claire Denis just finished filming this. She had a film premiere in competition in Berlin this year already, uh, so she's been very busy. Very excited for this film. And the film I'm most excited for... Crimes of the Future. Oh, God. The latest the David... Nick Bell story. <laughs> well, I would only be so lucky. Uh, starring Lea Seydoux and Kristen Stewart and Viggo Mortensen. It is the first feature directed by David Cronenberg since 2014's Maps to the Stars. Uh, Neon released a teaser trailer. Very excited for this. Um... And then, you know, just a commentary that Cannes has broken records because there's more than four women in the um, competition. One of those is a co-director slot. But I just can't see Valeria Bruni Tedeschi deserving to be in competition again over somebody like Mia Hansen-Love or Lea Maisius. But what, what do I know? I don't... And uh, I'm also not excited for somebody like Mario Martone, who... I just saw in Venice, uh, The King of Laughter, which I didn't like. Here he's got a new film already. He's the only Italian filmmaker in competition. You know, there are things that I'm not enthusiastic about, but obviously a lot to see. Well, that was a a quality moment. So our secret film this week is related to the docuseries we reviewed, Captive Audience, Mm -hmm. the real... American, a real American horror a real story. American horror story, which is about the Stainer family. Uh, they have five children, and there are five children in this family. And one of the sons, Stephen, was abducted and then returned seven years later. And then the oldest son, Carrie, was convicted of murdering four women in 1999. Yeah, later. So you know, this family has had some tragedy <laughs> associated with it, but. In 1989, there was a TV movie based on the abduction of Stephen Stainer called I Know My First Name is Stephen. Directed by Larry Ellican, who directed many, many television films, and he was very Johnny on the Spot with the Menendez Brothers TV movie. Uh, This movie aired on NBC. It was a two-night event, uh, and we tried to watch it last week, but couldn't find it online without just, you know, paying to stream it. So, of course, Nick... Uh, instead of doing that, uh, purchase the DVD. So I couldn't now. find it anywhere to stream. Oh. I couldn't find it anywhere. I, otherwise, I would have done that. Well, then I'll redact that. But you purchased the DVD. For you, yes. For me. It's two DVDs. It's in one. <laughs> but I don't think it was more than like two and a half hours total. No. Uh, so we watched it. We did. What to say? I have a lot of notes. We're, we're going to get through this quickly, Well, it's though. interesting seeing the... the um, docu-series before this because that points out a lot of the things that they had to kind of fudge well and then sort of foreshadowing unknowingly yeah the older brother and you know being a fucking murderer but okay the basic story is in 1972 a seven-year-old steven stainer was abducted by a man named kenneth parnell with the assistance of another man Mm -hmm. oh it's raining 
Food pellets. It's, it's raining food pellets. <laughs> so at the age of seven, Stephen was abducted by Kenneth Parnell with the assistance of another man named Irving Murphy. Uh, and he helped, he held this boy captive, loosely captive for seven years until one day the abductor kidnaps another little boy, brings him home and realizes that Stephen realizes that Kenneth is going to sexually abuse this little boy the way he abused him. So he decides to abscond with the boy to, to return him with no intention of turning himself in well because he's been told that his parents his dad he's dead. been t- we'll talk about the elaborate lie he was told but yeah so he ends up getting caught by police and they question him and everything unravels there's a court trial kenneth parnell is found guilty of kidnapping uh the little boy and then also kidnapping steven but because steven doesn't want to give testimony towards the sexual abuse and because kenneth didn't have a chance to sexually abuse the little boy he only gets a total of like seven years in prison. Mm-hmm. So we see that the end. Yeah. It, well, in that his uh, girlfriend is pregnant and there's... Stephen ends up getting a girlfriend and becomes pregnant. Um, and then we find out that Stephen died... At the age of 24. At the age of 24. Mm-hmm. The year this movie came out mm-hmm. uh, due to a motorcycle accident. The night before the Emmys. Because mm-hmm. this, this film was nominated for four of them. It was nominated for four. I don't believe so, it won any, though. So, a, a, a tragic story. But where to begin? Uh, I was surprised at how graphic this movie is. Well, I was saying that TV movies back then were more gritty than a lot of the things we see today. Well, TV movies back in the 80s and 90s had more cachet. Yeah. So, just the quality and the expectations were higher. But even... I remember watching this with my mom. I remember being uncomfortable because it does go into, like, the inappropriate touching and... So, yeah, the quality, you know, is not, it's definitely not lifetime laughable. No, no, it's very serious. And it has a pretty cool cast. It has so many notable people in it. What, you know, that's always the fun of watching things from the past is being like, oh. So the film opens with, so Kenneth is pretending that he, 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 he tells people he's like a reverend or like a minister. And then he has his little, his little lackey. Named Irving Murphy, who is made to seem like kind of simple. Yeah, well, and it's played by Arliss Howard, who's uh, the husband of Deborah Winger. Who's known for having, uh, there's a name for that, nystagmus, I think, where the eyes kind of... Not not Arliss Howard. No, sorry, I meant Irving Murphy. Pruitt Taylor Vince plays Pruitt Murphy. He has a thing with his eyes where they go back and forth rapidly. But he's meant to seem kind of simple. And the opening of the film is... um, Kenneth trying to convince Irving that, like, he needs a kid. For Christmas. And he even says, like, I'm going to get a kid for Christmas. Or I'm going to get me a kid for Christmas. So he's kind of sort of grooming um, Irving into helping him abduct a little boy. Mm -hmm. Which was kind of creepy. Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm just going through my notes being shady. But when we see the Stainer family, like, the actors playing them, I was like, this is not an attractive family. Oh, well, no. (laughs) When they get older, they're much more, like, the kids are much better looking, like, uh, particularly uh, the daughters. But (laughs) when they're younger, it's like, oh. Uh, So something that we talked about in the review of the docuseries is that they have the real-life mom talking about how her portrayal 
the portrayal of her family in this film is not accurate because they weren't that hard up. Mm-hmm. Because in this TV movie, it makes it seem like they were having serious financial issues. We also get a sense that like, um, that the children are physically disciplined. Yeah. Like, like they used to get whoopings, as people would say. Uh, so I don't know if they're trying to demonstrate that there might have been a reason why Stephen would not fight too hard to return home. Like, that the conditions under which he lived with Kenneth Parnell were more favorable than his home life. But that's sort of the feeling I got, and that's the impression we get from the mother watching the docu-series. Um, something I didn't really like about the TV miniseries was that there are moments where it's clear that they're trying to create some suspense Mm-hmm. But I felt like, what is the reason? Like, well, especially, especially between parts one and two. Right. Well, because in part one, you, after Stephen goes missing, we see the family looking for him. And there's a scene where the dad and the, and the older son are looking. And the, and the younger and the son finds like a bloody, mm-hmm. what he thinks, body mm-hmm. in a dumpster. And they're like, oh, no. And then the dad says, oh, it's just a, a, like a bloody calf, like a, like a cow. But it's like, we know Steven's not dead. We know he gets returned. And this yeah, but the happen. family doesn't know. No, but as the audience, it just felt kind of like... I mean, you'd have to be totally um, ignorant to the story to think yes. that this could be anything. Yeah. Um, so we find out... Of course, the police straight up ask the parents, like, did you kill mm-hmm. your they son? They have to take a lie detector test. They have to take a lie detector test. And then the, the mom says, well, you need to check out my dad. Played by Ray Walston. Who's very like, fuck them kids. I don't care about those kids. Yeah. Oh, he's missing good. One less mouth to feed. So then he has to come in and give a lie detector test. But of course, the, the grandfather wasn't involved. Um, so we also find out, which I don't remember, and this wasn't mentioned in the docu-series, is that the cops secure a psychic. Yeah, that's interesting. And in the TV movie... So in the docu-series, the screenwriter talks about how they had to sort of embellish and make concessions mm-hmm. because they have to make it, you know, suitable for TV, mm-hmm. which means sensational. So I don't know if this was actually done, but we see a psychic get called in and the psychic actually takes law enforcement to a location. And then the mom is like, oh, well, my my dad lives over here and Steven is often over here. And she's like, okay, well... I don't, and the psychic didn't know that, but she's like, well, I'm getting a really strong presence. Come to find out, the first house Kenneth Parnell took Stephen to when he abducted him was only 100 yards away from the grandfather's yeah. house. So that's kind of creepy that the yeah. psychic did take them to where he was. They just assumed that it can't be the grandfather. When Kenneth abducts his son and realizes like he needs to sort of like go incognito, they color... Stephen's hair and then he changes his name to Dennis but here begins sort of like a a series of really bad uh, wigs and Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a lot of bad hair in this movie so the movie says that the way Kenneth convinced Stephen that he's never going to go home is he tells him he funnels information from Stephen that oh your parents were having financial difficulties well they can't afford to take care of you. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're giving you up. 
And then one day he says, oh, I was able to adopt you. And then he says, oh, your dad had a heart attack and died. Your mom moved. She doesn't even live in the house. I don't have her address. All of your siblings were sent off to different foster homes or whatever. So it's just you and I, kid. We also find out that Irving, the man who uh, assisted Kenneth in kidnapping Stephen, was only there for the kidnapping. He didn't follow them for the seven years, mm -hmm. which I already knew that. But I didn't know that, or I don't remember, they don't mention it in the docuseries, that Irving had to financially support Kenneth for a while. Yeah. Which I was like, okay. Kenneth also brings um, Stephen a dog named Queenie, which made me think of Crooklyn. Queenie. <laughs> Queenie. Not without my baby. Uh, so there's that. Um, oh, there's a funny scene where, like, the cops, Kenneth is kind of feeling the heat, so he decides he has to leave wherever he is, and he goes to buy a new car. But he had drugged Stephen, mm -hmm. so Stephen was passed out on the back of this car. When he goes to a used car dealership to buy a new car and trades in the old one, and then it's like, did the salesperson not check the car before he bought it from this man, like traded it in, and did he not see this man carry an unconscious boy into? Because we see him carrying an yeah. unconscious boy, but then it just made me think. There are several moments in this film that depict like how a lot of this shit. And then I'm just gonna go off on a rant about how so much shit happens under our noses, mm -hmm. and it's like people aren't being observant. And now in like 2022, everyone is so obsessed with their privacy and like not wanting anyone to have access to anything. But it's like, you know, our neighbors, I, there's something funny going on over there because I see them multiple times a day walking mm -hmm. out to the front. And it's just like, watch us find out one day that they're doing some wild shit in there. But there's no protocol to call out weird shit, right? Because I don't want to be like that fucking neighbor who's like, calling on my immigrant neighbor like saying they have a bomb over there you know what I mean like like it's just not something that we do mm -hmm. but then there's so much shit that happens under everyone's noses and because everyone thinks like you're not supposed to be in anyone's business or like you know we just moved into this nice area with these neighbors and we have met everyone well except one mm -hmm. but it was very like hi my name is and then that's it like just the way our homes are situated, everyone just kind of pulls into their garage. And then, of course, we enter our home through our garage. Mm -hmm. So we never see anyone. Mm -hmm. The only time we actually see people is when we take our garbage out to the street. Mm -hmm. What a metaphor. Yeah. So I just feel like so much shit happens. And when you look back, it's like there are so many signs. There would have been so many ways. There's a scene where... So now Stephen, who's being called Dennis, is in school... And he's acting weird. So the teacher sort of tells the school the counselor. counselor. And the counselor calls Dennis in. Played by Barbara Tarbuck. And Dennis tells her, Dennis slash Steven tells her. He's not my real dad. He's not my real dad. And the counselor, because, you know, she's short on time, probably overworked. Mm -hmm. Is like, well, no, I understand you think that because he's your adopted dad. And Dennis believes that. Mm -hmm. And she's like, just forget about your past life. Okay. So he tells her everything that's happened. And she doesn't. The, the way he's saying it, he's not articulating it in like, I've been abducted. And then the counselor doesn't have the bandwidth to dig in. So it's just like, geez, there was some, in the docu-series, you hear like a school teacher and students kind of get emotional thinking like, how could we not have known? 
And it's like, well, yeah, how would I know? Well, they also didn't talk in the docuseries about he how he molested some of his friends in that town. Yeah, in the docu because in the TV series they do show that he molest. Well, they also highlight that he had a, a criminal record where he did molest other boys and attempted to molest Stephen slash Dennis's friends, played by Stephen Dorff. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a scene before Stephen's a teenager where Kenneth. Like, takes him Christmas shopping. And he just lets him roam off on his own. He's testing him. But I thought, like, wow, you are really bold. Like, this little boy, you just give him $2 and tell him, go Christmas shopping, meet me back in 30 minutes. And, of course, poor little Steven tries to use the phone, phone, but he doesn't know how. And then the operator is not, like, is being sort of like, well, you need to call this number. And this little kid is like, I don't know what to do. And then he sees his abductor and then just runs away. Mm-hmm. Like, to go do what he was supposed to do. So, that was very frustrating to think that this little kid didn't know how to speak up for himself. And that people don't really question. Well, I think what's more upsetting is the depiction of um, when it's found out by his family that he was molested. It's like, oh, you let him do that to you. I'm going to try to tell a story to be vague because I don't want to. But I worked somewhere where there was a. I worked somewhere where, like, I'd be there on the weekends pretty much by myself. And I was told like, oh, there's going to be like a contractor coming. Mm -hmm. So if this person comes, you can let him in. And he was kind of a weird guy. He was like a middle-aged white man. Didn't, was kind of like being weird. Like he didn't want to acknowledge me. And it's like, well, you're at my job and I have to watch you. And when Mm -hmm. I leave, you leave. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I pack up, you grab your coat and pocketbook and you leave too. So he was being kind of weird and he came, and this was over a period of several weekends that he was there. So on the third weekend, and this is an older white man, like probably like in his late 50s, he brings a little Asian girl with him. Mm-hmm. Like, a, like a nine or 10 year old Asian girl who was acting very like afraid. What year is this? I'm not going to say. Okay. But I'll tell you after. Okay. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. Because she looks uncomfortable and it's like, like, what are you doing bringing this little girl in here? And this was in a place where there were a lot of like private rooms. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, I don't feel comfortable. So I walked up to him because I was there by myself and said, like, who is this? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just my daughter. And I'm like, okay, there are all types of families, Mm -hmm. but she's not acting like I'm like, come, you know, bring bring your daughter to work day. Mm -hmm. You know, she's acting like she's uncomfortable so i called someone i work with and said like hey what do you think Mm -hmm. and they're like well that's weird okay so should i call the police well hold on and then ultimately it was like well that person who's working is a friend of someone else who works there so they know them and okay well should we ask them like do you know this person has like a fucking little ass Asian daughter that's running around like she's scared with him like mm-hmm. and I was told like you know don't call the police because mm-hmm. of whose friend it was but I just thought like that made me so uncomfortable and mm-hmm. then I brought it up again in the future mm-hmm. and then of course like nothing happened but yeah it was just like I'm not gonna like I didn't you know like do I call the police and then what if it's nothing and then I get in trouble or you know like it was just a very uncomfortable thing, but yeah, just watching like in this movie, 
seeing all the instances where like if someone just would have had their like antenna adjusted a little bit and been a little more bold about like the fuck is you doing with this little boy but then i understand nowadays with everyone wanting to be so like appropriate and not making assumptions which we should be doing in some cases i don't know i'm sorry if i see an old ass white man with some little nine-year-old asian girl who's looking scared i'm going to assume that maybe there's something wrong like and i just think like yeah, watching this little boy with this man and the little boy looking so uncomfortable is like, wow. But um, there's another scene. So the dad, St- Steven slash Dennis's real dad. Who's that actor? Arliss Howe. Oh, wait. Oh, his real dad. Oh, because his parents are played by Cindy Pickett and John Ashton. John Ashton is just such a doofus. Like, he just looks like, ugh. Yeah, he looks... But then when you watch the the docuseries, the actual dad also seems kind of like a little... I don't know. It just seems like their home life... My complaint about the docuseries was these people are not willing to give us anything about their private lives. Right. That might have... That that, that might influence why... Or might give us insight into why Stephen was not more aggressive about trying to get back home Mm -hmm. but there's a scene where the dad is like painting the garage and steven had written his name on the garage which was the movie sets it up where he was going to be punished for that coming home that day right but now it's become a symbol of like his return Mm -hmm. so after many you know after much time has passed the dad is painting the garage and you can see that he's like painting around Mm -hmm. but then the older brother Carrie Carrie is like oh I'm gonna help and grabs the paint brush and is about to paint over Steven's name and the dad loses it <laughs> I thought that scene was really campy <laughs> it was it was and then that core is Carrie the older brother yeah uh, the actor that plays him as a teenager I thought looked just like Lori Holden yeah he's <laughs> like, a handsome kid but he looks like that lady yeah um, I thought the creepiest scene well there are two well speaking about how graphic it is the first night steven is with the abductor and then irving is in that house and he's clearly like upset Mm because he's like you it's obvious that he knows that him helping this man kidnap this boy is wrong Mm -hmm. so he's in a different room kind of looking scared and then steven is in the bed with kenneth and obviously is being molested like we can hear him saying like no please don't do that and Kenneth telling him, relax, it's going to be fine. That made me very uncomfortable. And then there's a scene when Kenneth is, or when Stephen is like nine years old and he's already taken up smoking. Let me tell y'all something. You have never seen more smoking in a movie than in this movie. Certainly not anything made since like 1953. Like it's just nothing. Well, espe- but- especially because now, you know, after Sigourney Weaver and Avatar, uh, uh, smoking in a movie dictates that it has to be rated R. Well, nothing but smoking. But anyway, nine-year-old Steven is sitting in the hotel room smoking. And Kenneth brings home this woman. And and they're in like a room. One room. There's no privacy. And they start having sex. And then they make the kid come in the bed. And then they make the kid come and join them. And then Steven does say later on that he had sex then. So it's like, that was really upsetting. Yeah. Then... Um, oh, I wanted to add that when Stephen talks to the counselor and the counselor rebuffs him, like blows him off. Then the next scene is Stephen is at home late at night and while Kenneth is sleeping and sneaks out with his dog and is like roaming around downtown. 
And this group of teenagers are like bothering him. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, your mommy, oh, your daddy's going to be so mad. He's going to whip you. And then he's a little kid. So he thinks like, oh, they know. Mm -hmm. So then he runs back home. That was frustrating to see. Um, We see there's a scene after Kenneth tries to hit on Dennis slash Steven's, you know, now a teenager, his friend played by Steven Dorff. And the scene where Steven, where uh, Dorff and Steven talk. Corin, or what's his name? Nemec? Corin Nemec. Yeah. About, like, you, you know, your dad hit on me. He was trying to, like, have sex with me. That was really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> that was really uncomfortable. Okay. Um, when they abduct little Timmy, that was very violent. Like, Jesus. Well, he in has, broad daylight. He finds this other kid to he, help one him. of steven's friends yeah he he commissions one of steven's junior high school friends to help him abduct this timmy boy it was very violent then when <laughs> the scene where steven tries to leave with timmy was kind of funny because it's like a foggy dusky night and they're stumbling around. It was very like they're trying to make it like a horror film. Well, yeah, and then every car coming they think is uh, Kenneth. Kenneth. But then it's like we already know he's going to get found, so it's not very. Well, we know Kenneth is working a shift. And we know he's working the graveyard shift. Okay, so I think the movie kind of, I think it it has waves. Yeah, I think the final like thirty minutes is kind of whack. Yeah. It's just kind of well, that's where they took more liberties and yeah. But I think at the point where Stephen comes home, I think that was the most interesting part of the story. I don't need to hear about the sexual abuse. Like, I don't need those lascivious details. I was really more concerned with how he is reacclimating because he talks a lot about like you want me to be like this kid, but I spent seven years defending for myself, and it's clear that he doesn't want to be told what to do. Um, well, and it's clear that he really needed therapy, which he did not. The father was the docu series does a better in the job TV movie. Him. They don't explain it, but in the docu series, they explain that the dad was vehemently against therapy, and he nece- he needed that. He was an alcoholic. Uh, the first night Stevens at home, they say like, "Oh, you can sleep in your brother's room," but then the brother comes home unexpectedly. So Stevens like, "No, I'll sleep on the couch." No, no, we insist, and he's like, "I've slept in a lot worse places." Mm-hmm. I thought that was hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Like, this poor kid. Um, well, and just trying to parent somebody that's kind of been so traumatized at that point. They, they weren't... Uh, they didn't know how to handle him either. Speaking of unnecessary buildup, then there's a, then there's this buildup to the sexual abuse. But I thought with the, like these nude pictures of Stephen that Kenneth had and then the police, I felt like to the audience, I didn't need the buildup because we already know he was abused. We witnessed it twice, like in the in part one. So then in part two, when they're trying to allude to it and have this build up with the cops saying like, well, did you, you need to tell us if he did. It's like, well, I know that's part of the story that he was reluctant and ultimately his unwillingness to really go into detail is what allowed Kenneth Parnell to get a very short prison sentence. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. There's also a scene in high school after it's been announced that you know, Stephen returns and that he was sexually abused. Now all the boys in high school are picking on him like he's a queer and mm-hmm. there's a lot uh, ubiquitous or obligatory locker room shower scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was kind of hard to watch. 
there's a scene where they're trying to demonstrate that Stephen doesn't feel at home. Because at first his mom says, your dog can't sleep in the house. She's got to stay in the garage. And she's like, well, if my dog sleeps in the garage, I sleep in the garage. So they're, And then the mom says, well, I guess we'll have to make room for the eight of us. Like, yeah, bitch. Like, I'm your kid. I used to live here until mm-hmm. you let someone abduct me. Like, Well, let someone. Well, hey. You know, I don't have children, but it, it would be a scary thing to me to let my kids... I mean, he's seven years old walking home... By that himself. was that that was 1972 that was normal. I don't think my mom ever let us come home alone. Yeah, but that by then it was the mid 80s. When I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, this sure. Is the, this is the early 70s. Yeah, but they lived know. in a small town, so I guess Yeah, that too. They felt safer. I yeah. lived in, you know, a big city, so maybe that's why my mom was like under no circumstances. Oh yeah, like the I mean, how many you hear about communities where it's like we don't lock the doors here. It's like, "What?" Um, but when he, so one, there's one scene where he, they're trying to show that he doesn't feel welcome at home because he comes home with the dog after it's been raining mm-hmm. and the dog sort of shakes off the water and covers the entire house with like the living room where everybody's the, 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 the living room where everyone's sitting and it looks like the dog is covered in like crude oil. Yeah. Like, what is this? Then Steven receives a check from the family of the, so the family of the boy he helped save they started a fund mm-hmm. and then they have a ceremony to honor Steven and they say in light of what we found out, which is essentially they're giving him what you said was a take one for the team check. Yeah. Because they're basically saying like, oh, we know you got molested. So because you saved our boy, he didn't get molested. Yeah. So, we're so here's some money. Yeah. And with that money, Steven kind of goes ham. Yeah. Because then he drops out of school. He's drinking, smoking. He buys a car. He's being reckless. A question I had is I don't understand why this case had to have an open courtroom because that was part of the reason why he didn't want to talk about the sexual abuse because everyone is there watching it and reporting on it. Again, I think it's the time period thing. Also, like how he had to identify uh, Parnell to his face in the 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 police station. It's like, wow. But again, this brings me back to my final... Well, I'll get to my final thought, but... um, there's a point where the mom is trying to discipline him because we see Steven's mom and dad talk about how they can't discipline him, but they need to. And then the mom confronts him and Steven says, anything that could happen to me can't be any worse than what has already happened to me. And I just thought like, it was kind of sobering to hear that because I think when you, I often think when I hear about or witness rebellious teenagers, a big part of their behavior probably revolves around they're already doing the things that you're telling them not to do. Mm-hmm. So you trying to stop your daughter, like I think about, well, you know, you're trying to stop your daughter from seeing a boy and she's being resistant is like, it's because she's already seeing boys or she's already fucking mm-hmm. or he's already doing things. Like when people are resistant to something it's because they already have done it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm talking about less mature people like teenagers yeah. in their minds. They're confused because it's like, well, I don't know, you don't know this, but I'm already able to do it and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, yeah, I can only imagine what it's like to raise kids, how difficult uh, it would be, especially when they have this trauma. So that really made me feel bad. Well, this family obviously needed help. That Then one of the final scenes with the mom is the, like, you know, the dad saying like how Steven has come home. And this is after all of his troubles, like they're having trouble like discipline, disciplining him. 
And then the mom says he never came home. Mm-hmm. Like our little boy. Yeah. Like this is not the boy we raised. I thought that was really sad. Yeah. Um, and then we I posted a video on our Instagram of there's a scene where Steven's driving super drunk in this new Chevy Nova he bought. Right after the trial. Right ended. after the trials ended. And Kenneth gets such a short sentence. And he crashes his car. That scene was kind of funny. Yeah, it was funny. The way it's edited is not the best. Yeah. But anyway, my final thoughts, um, you know, it's just a, it's just so scary thinking that when I was, you know, 11 years old watching this on TV and thinking like, you know, abduction is very, you know, child abduction when I was a kid in my household was talked about a lot. In my, well, the, you know, I was too young when this came out for this to register. It was probably the Jacob Wetterling case. When I was a kid, that was scary. But my mom talked about, um, yeah, like, don't, like not talking to strangers, not letting people touch me, not going places alone. I wasn't allowed to, you know, she always took me to school and back. And so um, I was very afraid of, like, strangers. And so, you know, thankfully, you know, I, I often forget, but for a very long time, like, from the time I can remember until I was well into, like, adolescence... I would become hysterical if my mom left me anywhere. And I mean like left the room. Oh, see, I remember... The next time you talk to my mom, don't let me forget to bring that up because it would be like if we went to like Target Mm -hmm. and I'm standing by the toys and if she tried to walk to like, you know, makeup, I would lose my shit. Oh, see, I would... Even if she was in my line of vision, I would lose it. So I think I was just always afraid like... Oh, I was the opposite. I was always trying to get away from my parents. Yeah, and then one time Let me I duck got, out of here. One time I got like walked like a, a detached from her at the Fox Hills Mall. Detached. And I remember like I still I was traumatized by that. I was so afraid. I remember watching Unsolved Mysteries and every time that music would come out, I'd have to go make sure the door was locked. The front door. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like well, oh and then growing God. up in LA and there being so much commotion all the time. Well the night like, hunter, you know. Well and then growing up in South LA where it's like you hear gunshots, you hear helicopters and sirens and everyone has bars on their windows and going outside at night for sure was not a thing. Oh, Aggie's <laughs> getting restless. Well we're gonna wrap up soon, girl. But yeah, what are your thoughts on it would, you know, I was probably more interested in seeing all of these people I've liked for years in very small roles. But, um, you know, like joining Arliss Howard, who you probably know better from Tu Wong Fu, Beth Grant from that film has a, a very small role oh, in this. Oh, that's right. Uh, Cindy Pickett, who I, I feel like my mom used to talk about from St. Elsewhere. She is uh, also co-stars with Jim Haney, who plays a cop in this in Sleepwalkers. And they share a very similar scene. <laughs> in that movie as they do here but of course seeing Stephen Dorff and Prue Taylor Vince and Ray Walston from Fast Times at Ridgemont High Greg Henry from Payback and many other films as the, one of the cops uh, Brian Cranston that's right as a police officer um, Amy O'Neill as the girlfriend and eventual wife who is emblazoned in my mind from Honey I Shrunk the Kids uh, Barry Corbin as uh, a star of many westerns oh we need to talk about Barry Corbin oh he looked When I first saw him, I'm like, he looks like a cadaver. He looks terrible, and his makeup in this movie is terrible. And then you looked him up, and you said that... He was only 49 there. 49? He's still alive. He's still doing stuff. If you told me the man in that movie was 70, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. 49? Uh Uh-huh. That man looked terrible. He did look terrible, yeah. His Uh teeth looked like he was 
89. Yeah, they, uh, he looks better now, probably, strangely. And then you showed me a picture of him now. He looks better now. And, he, you know, he was probably best known for Northern Exposure, which I remember my parents watching, but I never did. Um, oh, and then Peter Michael Getz, who's last on my list, who's in a, a character actor in a ton of stuff, who I thought kind of looked like Jack Nance. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it was definitely interesting. Um, and it, it, there's a grit to it that you don't see in TV films now. I wish it would have focused more on the trauma, this young boy. Not the actual details, but just like, what would it have been like? And I think part two of the miniseries does focus more on his life upon returning home. Mm -hmm. But it would be really interesting. And I know that, uh, from my bad memory, the movie Room... With Brie Larson, yeah. Isn't that the focus, kind of? Like, the second half of her acclimating to not being... yeah. I think with, stories like that are more... With a kid that she yeah, birthed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just so... Fa I mean, tragic, but fascinating. And, you know, I, it definitely made me sad seeing this... Because that poor kid's life was ruined. Yeah. And then ultimately he died at a super young age. And then that family... Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are a lot of demons there. Okay. And then the older son goes and kills four ladies. Uh, well, and now yeah. he's on death row. Uh, again, because things weren't... The trauma wasn't dealt with properly. Well, who... But we don't know. We don't know what happened, but... Yeah, for him to go on and kill four women, clearly. Yeah, there were things. It's kind of like how I'm very curious if we'll ever know more about the, the Joseph Fritzl family. Oh, my God. In Austria, that you know, his daughter that yes. he had a fathered all those children with that lived in a subterranean <laughs> climate. Well, who was telling me about that family in Riverside that had all those kids? Oh, them too, yeah. Mm -hmm. But who, someone was talking to us about it. Or was it just me? It might have been just you. Someone was telling me that they might... I think I was talking to someone who either works for like the district attorney's office in that county or someone who works like for the county of that area where it happened. And they were just sort of talking about it, but just like how fucked up, which, you know, it's like, I'm not, you know, there's enough, like a fascination with the abomination, which, you know, doesn't feel good. It's kind of like, I shouldn't care, but it's just, it's just so compelling. Mm -hmm. and scary mm -hmm. well it's scary yeah because it could happen it could have happened to you, you but know? again like this shit with everyone being private and living in their own bubble especially living in a big city mm -hmm. you know you grew up in a small town and everyone knows each other I think it's a little easier to kind of know what's going on but like where we live now I mean you wouldn't know anything I don't know in rural climes too people have private areas and woodsheds and garages and people have things that they can keep secret you're right. It, it, like, it's a different kind of... It's a different kind opportunity, of opportunity. Yeah. But I think here, it's like, we hear screaming all the time. Mm -hmm. I hear screaming all the time. I see people arguing all the time. I see people in cars fighting all the time. And it's like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I'm running late, usually, or I'm stuck in traffic, or mm -hmm. they're driving by, and it's like, there's no way I could even turn around, mm -hmm. or... Like, we live in a densely populated area, so I hear screaming, and it's like, what am I going to do? Walk in the street and try to, like, find it like sonar? Like... Or, yeah, it's just really, it's just really scary to think what happens right under our noses. Yeah, then you never know. All right, well, that's that for that. This episode is super long. Mm -hmm. uh, what do we have going on this week? You're going to Soho House this evening. Oh, you're not coming with me? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what the movie is. You said some French comedy. Mm -hmm. yeah. With a queer component. I mean, my, my initial answer is no, but... Well, you, you're not going to be in a I'd rather do something else, but uh, you're going to do that. We have dinner plans tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Is, are there screenings tomorrow? You're I mean, not, next week? You're not seeing another screening till Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I think, which is the week after. Oh. So, yeah. 
Well, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Mm-hmm. Well, the only reason I go to Soho House is to see Soho House. Well, that's House. why I invited you. So Yeah, but then I have to sit through a two-hour movie. On. It's an hour and a half. Wow. That doesn't appeal to me. Uh, do you have a quote for us? No, I started reading. I finished that Alexander Green book, and I just started. I've never read Treasure Island, so I'm reading that. Anything else? No. Bye. Bye.